Greetings and salutations to all our Surf and Sales friends. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it is myself, Richard Harris, and Scott Lease, partner in crime. And we are joined, to, I was about to say we are gathered here today, which would have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're joined here, and I'm going to butcher it, even though he just told me, Brian Troutshold. Troutshold, right? Brian? Yeah. Right. That's right. Okay. Troutshold. Yep. Yeah, Troutshold. Uh, the co-founder of Ambition, uh, which is really fun because it's, it's always nice to get this founder-led view of things, um, particularly as it relates to revenue. And then, of course, because of what Brian's team does, it even adds a, a little bit of a plus one. So um, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, we need to give a, a quick shout out to Lead411, Findem, Vidyard, Perception Predict, and Gong.io, our sponsors. We really appreciate their support. So Brian, um, welcome to the show. And thanks for having me. Yeah, and you know, with, without going into sort of what's on LinkedIn, but I, you probably will. But like, what was your background just even getting into sales? Like, what was your first sort of sales role? Um, even if it was all the way back as a kid, like, what was it? <clears throat> yeah, I, I, well, that's that's funny. I mean, I think philosophically. If you're going to uh, if you're going to start any kind of company, if you're going to be an entrepreneur or whatever, um, at some point you're selling. Whether you're selling to customers or you're selling to uh, investors or you're selling to people who can come join the company, it's something that you have to do. And um, man, it's, I haven't been asked about the childhood stuff in a long time, but I was like the guy in my neighborhood who had like the lawn service at 14 when I was like pushing like a lawnmower and a wagon and all that stuff from like yard to yard and, um, and leaving like flyers indoors. I was advertising like the Catholics, the Catholic church bulletin so I could like get business. Um, so, I mean, I've been doing sales, um, you know, since I was 14, 15 years old. And, and then, um, you know, what did you charge for a lawn? How did you charge? Like, how did you come up with your pricing model? Uh, it was very fluid. It was very fluid. Uh, it's it like SaaS, depended. right? Like this, the same yeah. thing. We didn't post it on a website. It was like dependent on what we saw when we when we showed up, um, and kind of the uh, personality of the of the customer. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's, you're, it's, it's good, Scott. You're so you're like entrepreneurial right from the the get go. It sounds like, which is it's got to be. Part of the reason you've gone on to found, I'm aware of. Right? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think, I don't know that I'm employable anymore. Like, I don't know that uh, anyone would hire me if, if I was to put some resumes out there. I don't know that people uh, would necessarily want to work with me. Um, yeah, I was, I was really uh, lucky and, and I guess super fortunate that my parents encouraged that. My mom, uh, I started to do this lawn business and it started to grow and I'd get outside the neighborhood. And I remember my mom like driving me and dropping me off to like, you know, cul-de-sac when I was 15 years old, so I could go do it. So I had a ton of support. Um, and yeah, it's been one of those things that, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but even in, in college, the two co-founders I work with now, Travis and Travis Truett and Jared Houghton, we've worked together for, you know, 10 plus years on three companies, like you said, when we were in college at the University of Tennessee, we were the guys who would sneak beers into the library. We would like lock down one of these little meeting, like mini conference rooms with a whiteboard. And we would hang out and, and talk about, you know, companies that we wanted to start. Um, and it just so happened that we did it. So 
you know, we were, we were the people who were, you know, maybe uh, ignorant enough to not know what we didn't know at the time, but um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and uh, sales is just part of the thing that you have to do. And, and to answer your question specifically, I graduated college basically right into the uh, year two, I'd say of the financial crisis. It was 2009. I graduated from Tennessee. I was a finance major. Uh, and there's not a lot of finance firms like that were hiring people at that point. Uh, they were, most of the people were leaving, not going in. And, um, you know, I learned really quickly that I was going to have to be uh, flexible and I was going to have to figure out something other than this, you know, path I thought I had uh, charted out. And so I went to sell for go back to cutting lawns. <laughs> I didn't, I was thinking about it. I, I think there was a time where I was like, maybe that's what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> But I went to Hewlett Packard and I was a, uh, I was an inside seller uh, there for a relatively brief amount of time, but they taught me a ton of stuff about sales and taught me a ton of things that, that I think ultimately 10 years later, ambition is still solving for, for like gaps that I saw when I was a 23 year old, you know, so it's, it's amazing to me because I've been aware of ambition for a while, but it's amazing to me to look at it and see you've been working there and on this particular product and problem for seven years. I don't know if that strikes you or not, Richard, but I looked at it and was like, has it really been seven years? Wow. It's really been a long time. And your first two companies was more like two and a half and three years. So sure. what I, what I want to know is, can you draw this like linear line in terms of like company number one? Okay. We did okay, but we fucked up here. Number two, we lasted a little longer, but we kind of kept moving the needle. And now I'm on ambition and we're in year seven and like, I'm doing really good. Has it gone like that or has it ping ponged and zigzagged all over the place? Yeah, Scott, man, that's, that's a super real question. I think, you know, when you're, when you're 23, 24 and, um, you know, we started our first company, it was a consumer news company. So like personalized news, um, that was that was kind of if we think to pre Facebook, Twitter, fake Twitter. news, like, you know, people yeah. thought that this was all going to be like like Flipboard. And, and there were a couple other really cool companies, Pulse, that did these things. Um, and it was really exciting to us. Like we thought this was tackling a big problem that ultimately other people ended up owning. Facebook and Twitter really own that now. Um, but, yeah, w one of the things we did really well, I'll say, is for three non-technical background, like non-engineering school people. Um, we learned how to build really good consumer level products that had like, you know, that, that had good UI, that had great UX. We built a team of technical people around us. Um, I think we built a pipeline where, especially in the Southeast or, or you know, kind of our region, we were able to attract good talent. Um, you know, company one, we didn't know how uh, Richard said I can, I can be uncensored here. We didn't know how the fuck to start a business. Like we didn't know how to make money. We didn't know how to, um, you know, charge. We, we had no customer or customer for users downloading an app. Um, and that's a really difficult spot to be in. And so we, company two was really an extension of that, trying to figure out how to continue to build a product in a space we knew a lot about. Um, we started to really uh, experiment with gamification, which will come up, I'm sure, in this conversation. You guys are, are familiar with the space. Um, so that gave us a really like in-depth knowledge of trying to drive specific user behavior, trying to engage people in a variety of ways. But really, you know, that space, 
the business model was build something and sell it to a bigger company. Like that was the business mm-hmm. model there. And, and the, the value was user data or user eyeballs. Um, and ultimately it was just, it, it was kind of a, um, I would say it was a letdown in terms of like getting to a point where you realize that all this cool stuff you've built, it, you have no leverage on it. It's only if, you know, someone comes and knocks on the door and says like, we want to acquire this product. That's the only way that it's a win. Um, and so we had this really like 2013, I remember specifically, we were talking the three of us and come up with some advisors and we're like, it sucks not to have customers, it sucks not to be able to charge, you know, money for the product we build and, um, you know, be able to affect the growth in that way. Uh, and after a, a ton of conversations, we decided to start Ambition, um, which, which, like you said, has turned out decently well. Okay. It's, you know, ups and downs for sure. Yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back to one of the things that you said, and I think Scott. I, I, I say this in jest, but I think it's true. You know, Scott, you didn't necessarily know how to build your business, right? Like you built several sales team businesses, right? You knew how to scale, but it was kind of like, how do I do this for myself, right? And you were able to leverage our friendship and relationship and other people. And and I'm curious, Brian, how do you keep that naivety of I don't know what I don't know. Cause I feel like that's a big piece of growing any business, right? You're seven years in, you could walk out and say, we know all about this, but if you really want to amp your product or amp your service and you're, you know, and other, other co-founders or people who are thinking about doing it, how do you keep yourself fresh? I think uh, reality knocks every day. So it's, it's easy to get in our own little bubble or an echo chamber and say like, we what's know the latest, what's the latest reality that's knocked on your day in the last month, we already know COVID's one. Like that's, that was like yeah. massive and maybe it's Slight still coming. Surprise. Right. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Um, let's see. You know, I think um, I, I would say that something that we didn't see a year ago that is really true and that we think a lot about today is that um, competition isn't just the companies that you have feature overlap with or that sell, try to sell the same value proposition or same pain and gain to your customer. Um, you're competing with everyone. You're competing with every bu- budget dollar that goes into the company or everything that gets uh, a buyer's attention, if you will. And so the mind share, the, uh, the ability to latch on to really deep, painful things to provide really strong value and ROI it's not as simple as just saying like ambition competes with X or ambition competes with Y and we're replacing this tool in your org. It's like, what is the whole stack? And the whole stack is all competing for, in most cases, a a relatively finite amount of budget uh, and definitely a finite amount of attention um, that that people have to, uh, to go execute something. Now that, that has got to be one of the very real and, maybe even scary is a word realities of what you and the team and ambition has been going through because I remember in March and April, everybody was like, we need to cut every non-essential piece of our stack. Sure. Right. And you know, you're over here and you got sales gamification and coaching platforms. Like you're trying to make a case that this is essential and cutting this, you know, would be a mistake. So when you are competing for this finite number of dollars, which I love that you called that out. I've talked about that, not in the tech stack kind of context, but just in general. Um, 
I love it. So I love that you brought that up. But like when you're competing for all those dollars, how are you positioning yourself to be a must have versus a nice to have? Well, I think we have, we're, we're really lucky that we have some incredible salespeople here and um, you know, our sales leader, Mark McWaters is, I think one of the best. And, and a lot of it is having, investing in the relationship, putting deposits into the relationship so that you can ask questions, both from a customer and a prospect um, and learning what the real pains are. Like, I think what's, I think what happened to your point, March, April um, to a lot of folks and our space is incredibly crowded. You guys have been around it for years. You probably know everyone, um, you know, in, in the, in the space, uh, broadly, like there's a ton of things that are really cool, like a ton of tools that are just cool as hell. And you're like, man, I can't believe how, as a former sales rep, like I'd love to have XYZ or I can't believe we did this when I was at HP. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's kind of like we say a lot, like, where is the, like, where are all the things going to live? How are you going to get in touch with uh, your prospects and customers? Uh, why are you going to do it? And how are you going to measure the result? And if you don't have, you know, kind of the what, how, or how, what, why, um, you might be SOL. And I think a lot of people uh, were not in position to say, like, which of those things, if you pulled them out, you wouldn't have the ability to do. And so we talk a lot about the why. And right now, the why is, is really critical because I'm sure a ton of people listening to this, to your show, is are, are they're in their house. They're sales reps who are 23 to 50. But, uh, you know, nine months ago, they were on a sales floor. They were, you know, desk to desk to desk. They were eight seats away from their manager. If it was a shitty day, they just walk over there, grab coffee, get a pump up, do a one-on-one, do a quick drive-by coaching session and be back at it. Or, or the manager could walk by if they didn't hear the energy. Um, all that's gone. And so we talked to sales leaders and they're like, I don't know what, People are doing, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's working. I can't talk to them regularly or I don't talk to them as regularly as I used to. And I need consistency and I need accountability to work in a completely virtual environment for knock on wood, not as long as we thought, but maybe a long time. Um, and and they, they've really come to grips with that. And so it, in a lot of orgs, and I'd love to unpack this even more, like the bigger the org, the bigger that pain is. And so we had to get smart about saying, let's focus where the, let's focus in the best pond to fish. Well, that's, that's the enterprise, that's large sales orgs, that's very scaled um, you know, teams that are now wherever they're working from and figure out how we can really deliver uh, clarity on here's your pain, here's opportunities, here's how we solve the pain and here's how we give you ROI with that opportunity. Have, have you had to go into uh, a lot you, of like coaching on, of, coaching of the client? Right. Hold on one second. Did you, the most important thing, and I can't believe you didn't hear it, is that apparently I'm too old to be in sales. He's only said 23 to 50. <laughs> so <laughs> you're not you're not an inside sales right now. You have you're an entertainer now. You're a content guy. Yes, you're an entertainer. You graduate. You graduate. You're on Spotify. Like <laughs> we just had this it. conversation two weeks ago, where where I am going to be Scott's Bernie Talpin and to his Elton John. So I'm I'm tend to be <laughs> the man it. behind the entertainer. So, oh, that's great. So, oh. well, I, what I was what I that's all right. What I was saying, Brian, was like, <clears throat> did you find yourself in a position where you had to do a lot of a lot of coaching and educating of the customers? 
where they were coming back to you and saying, look, I know how to use your product and I understand the space in an office kind of setting. How the fuck do I use it in a remote setting? And how did you coach and convey that kind of message and strategy to your customers so they could go deploy it? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Like, I, I mean, we, I think we're still even dealing with that with certain customers where, you know, the, the main way they used ambition was in an office environment. It was in a, a recognition competition, you know, framework. And the, what's really, I think, lucky and, and fortuitous is that we had, we had built really ambition was being used so heavily internally. And we have been a remote and kind of like work from home uh, friendly company for years now. Um, I mean, we have people in upstate New York, we have people in Texas, we have people in California. We had to have our product to, to you know, eat our own dog food, drink our own champagne, whatever. We were already doing all these things that um, enabled remote sales coaching, remote sales management, um, you know, recognition remotely. Um, and so we had to go in and we had to re-educate exactly what you said, like, and we had to be proactive about it. I think what people would burn a ton of people, um, ton of companies, I should say, is like, you know, March, April, May renewals that were coming up. They're like, let's just hold off the nut and see if we yeah. slide under the radar, you know, like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of panic at first. Yeah. And, and I'm proud of our team. Like this is credit to other people, but they were like reaching out saying, here are guides that we've built to help you convert to a work from home sales coaching environment. Here's, here's assets that we have that'll help you um, transform what you were doing on sales TVs in your office to in Slack and email and in Salesforce. Um, and so we were, we were well positioned for that in a lot of ways. And, you know, that's one of the things I think is, is really exciting about 2020 in a vacuum is that, um, it makes our it makes our product I think a lot more valuable for those orgs. Like it was, it's cool to walk by a TV and see, you know, Richard's face with with a million dollars of quota attainment or whatever. But I mean, what could be better than that, right? Like when he's there, in, there his, no, in fact, will you just do that for your team for me? Yeah, like that would be super awesome. Yeah. I, you know, we've got a ton of TVs in here, but um, for now, like okay, I have a salesperson there at home. They're isolated. They don't feel like they're part of the team. How do I get them to like really be um, part of the mission and feel like they're accomplishing something every day, every week? I mean, I think the interesting thing too, and you know, we're in we're in our great bubble of, at least for me, there's no greater place to sell than to heads of sales and revenue, right? Yeah. Because they're they're often they kind of know what they want, but they can let us lead them there. The right ones want to be led. They're, they're, to my earlier point, they're willing to be a little naive and be coached. And so that helps, um, you know, because I assume that's, you know, mostly of who you're selling to is the revenue piece, right? My, my question for you is when you are competing against the other budget dollars, right? What are you seeing people choose without naming customer names, unless you really feel like throwing somebody under the bus? Like, what are you seeing people choose over something like ambition, which has immediate direct revenue implications, right? When you're trying to do less with more, when you're trying to keep growing, you know, even to some extent, 2020 has become, you know, break even in 2020 is, is you know, is 20% profit, right? Um, right. So yeah. what are the things people are choosing? Is it someone else in the sales stack, right? Or is it marketing or engineering? Like, what do you know what they're choosing? Uh, we've seen 
two things. I think um, if we go to like the where, how, why, if you don't have how in place, if you can't, if, if like the infrastructure to get in touch with your prospect or customer broke, which it did for tons of people, that's why Zoom's having such a good year. Um, you know, people who were using enterprise telephony in their, you know, 400 person sales facility somewhere, like they were using a tool that didn't scale to at home. And, and so those folks, I think, uh, I think, it, you know, rightly have gone and said, okay, I need to get one of the sales acceleration tools. And we were friends with all those guys. So I won't, won't throw anyone under the bus or, or give them the, the alley-oop, but they had to go put that in place because their reps simply could not do the job, you know, from a laptop with no phone, for example. Right. Um, so that was like part one. The other thing, and I think that kind of has in a lot of ways smoothed itself out. Another thing is um, headcount. Like all of a sudden you're competing with headcount budget, which is not a place that feels really comfortable to be competing with like, hey, you can buy our software and, you know, we think, you know, the data shows that you'll get, you know, the, the effectiveness and productivity of 100 reps if you have 80. Like that's not a that's not a fun conversation to have with a sales leader who's typically a high EQ, high, like, you know, culture builder type person. Um, but unfortunately there were a ton of those conversations those companies were making cuts. I, and I actually to think, think it is. I think it's a fairly easy conversation if you do it properly, right? Like you definitely sort of say, Hey, Brian, sure. look, people are people. Like we don't, we don't want you to cut, but we know what's happening. So let's just talk about it in a way that, you know, if you have to make that decision, we can support you, right? Without There's moving. nuance there. Right, there's and a nuance I, and there. I think, yeah, to your point earlier about like linking to um, to pain, yeah. this is a soft one, but like culture culture is one of the biggest things that have taken a hit and our, and our platform provides a lot, of, um, a lot of ways to deliver culture at scale that a manager used to do in person. And so, well, we have a lot of, I think, really hard ROI and really hard uh, ways that we can drive specific metrics and that we can prove it. One of the things that, that someone comes in and they are doing the renewal or they're doing a two or three year renewal with an expansion is they're like, our culture would be effed if we didn't have this right now. This is, this is how we're having you know, still a positive pace and a, um, you know, a culture of recognition and positivity. And it helps me do my job as a manager or a leader. How, how do you quantify that? I know, I know as somebody who's been a buyer yeah. in this particular sure. space and the pushback that I've received, and I know how I've attempted to kind of, you know, get around it. And I've successfully been a buyer purchaser before, but the, the, the CFO's question for me, at least was always like, well, how am I, how are you quantifying the ROI on this? How do you quantify the lift from having a better culture? <laughs> as you uh as you just described it's like we all know it's there yeah but how do i put a dollar on that the dollar figure and, and it sets apart i mean we can even see this from the outside looking in it sets apart the really good teams right like the really good teams you could feel it um when you're having a sales call with them or, or when we used to be able to walk into the office you can feel that it's different than other orgs um i think attrition right now is the biggest like if you start losing people because they are um demotivated or they feel like they're unappreciated or they've lost connective tissue with the org. They don't feel part of the mission. They're not part of the objectives as, as clearly. Um, 
man, it's never been easier to switch companies, right? Like you can get a job with someone wherever. If they, uh, I think that, you know, everyone's taking calls wherever they are. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I, I would be really frank to, to go back to you, Richard, like there's nuance to that conversation, but like every reps, every rep who's worth their salt is getting recruited right now. And they can work for a company that, that their, their options uh, are, are completely universal at this point for, for largely speaking. So I think the culture really, really goes back to how much are you investing in your reps, especially the reps who are effective and who you want to keep. And what are the, uh, you know, how are you stay? They stay plugged in, they stay productive, even through uncertainty, and they continue to develop and get better. And that's what we really try to get the conversation to versus like, here's culture, happy-go-lucky, very soft ROI, like you're saying. Um, but you want to keep your best people and you want to keep them fired up for sure. So I want to I want to answer your question back to me, Brian. But first, because Scott said, you know, he's positioned this to his CFOs, right? And he's been, he's had, he's done this more recently than I ever have. Um, so Scott, how did you position it? What did you try to turn around? Because I'm thinking people will be like, oh, let me hear a different answer too. Or if it's the same one, that's okay. Well, I, I actually don't have a different answer because yeah. what Brian said is exactly what I landed on in my argument. It, so. My argument would be less about the lift that we're going to get and more about what we stand to lose if we have a crappy culture and quantifying that around lost revenue from productive sellers leaving the cost to replace them and the cost to ramp them and that type of thing. So he, I, I was smiling on the inside as he was giving his answer because I'm like, Oh, I, maybe I did it. Right. I didn't know how else to, to do it. And I, like I said, I focused on more on what are we going to lose more than what are we going to gain? And that Absolutely. argument worked for me. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I teach in, in everything is that, you know, our, our friend Rob Jebson loves to say, you got to dollarize it. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, nobody believes ROI, right. They never believe the R they only look at the I ever. And so Long before I heard that, though, I, I started focusing on the economic impact of this decision. Right? What's the economic impact? So the economic impact is, you know, losing the attrition. What's the cost of losing somebody? What happens to their pipeline? How long is it going to take? It's going to take six weeks just to replace them, maybe three plus. Then that person's got to ramp. So showing that economic impact. So anytime I hear ROI, I tell everybody to shift it to economic impact because nobody believes ROI. They, you know, they never do. Um, so that's how I position the same argument. Um, and then the other thing I say too is, you know, I will come out to my customers and I'd say, hey, Brian, look, you know, don't go down that math of, and customers will do this. Like I've had CFOs say to me, oh, so if we only close two deals, we'll pay for your service. I'm like, if you only close two deals, I owe you a refund. Right? Like <laughs> Things are not good. Right. Like, like, please don't choose me on that theory. Like that's like one of the worst theories. And I think, and even salespeople fall on it. Um, I get it, but if, you know, if someone invests ten thousand dollars, they should expect a hundred thousand dollars return. They got overhead to cover, they got salaries to cover, they got, you know, everything from the equipment for the rep, the onboard, like whatever it is, like they need ten x. And I think you have to sort of speak in that language of economic impact and ten x, particularly when you get to the CFO level, so that you can prove to them you understand what the CFO is thinking about, right? The v the VP of sales kind of gets it but they don't always know how to articulate it that well either. So 
Um, Richard, one of the things you just said that I, I've been thinking a ton about, and I think we're seeing this as a positive signal on our market is, um, you know, now everything's why now, and you've got to tie, you've got to tie a risk coefficient to like, if you don't do this now, here's the risk. And I think that's the economic impact. And, and to uh, you and Scott's point, like, you've got to put it in something that's scary. Like, you know, selling, selling the roses of like, if you get 20% more effective and, and when you get, you know, 10% more productive, like that's cool. And that like works on a spreadsheet. But if it's like, I'm worried, I'm worried about losing my people. Or I'm worried about people not being engaged or I'm worried about, um, you know, people not doing the leading indicators that are going to lead to success. Like those are scary topics that sales yeah. leaders are, think about right now and you want to tie it to you want to you want to like tie that risk to be grounded in reality yes the other thing i've been doing a lot too to your why now point is is um i will say hey aside from covid why are we talking about this now as opposed to a year ago because i'd be willing to bet the challenge was there a year ago and you weren't recognizing it and maybe you know covid may have created a catalyst but why now regardless of covid and it's interesting to hear the answers you get because sometimes they don't know. And that's, a, that's fair. Maybe it is a COVID related thing, but it does sort of get you to get them to think more about, okay, why is this really important? Because those problems of culture and not, you know, retention and all those other things, they existed long before COVID. They were just sort of either unwilling to recognize it or, or legitimately there could have been other fires that needed to be tended to like it, it's possible. Well, I want to shift gears here for a second, and uh, I got two two questions that have been on my my mind. The first one is about the fundraising process, and what's unique about you and ambition. And maybe this has changed a little bit, but like you've stayed away from the VC world. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think altogether, like you bootstrapped. Mostly okay. So yeah, talk talk about that. I mean, that's number one, rare in 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 our space, the tech space, staff space, and whatnot. Um, and number two, extremely impressive that you've made it, you know, as far along. I've grown to be as big as you are while maintaining ownership and control of the the company. So can can you talk about the reasons? for doing that and the, the challenges and, and advantages to doing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's weird, like seven, this comes up a lot. This comes up in, in weird ways. It, I mean, it comes up like selling to customers now and they're like, you guys have only raised six and a half million dollars, but so-and-so has raised a hundred million dollars. Like, why should I go with you guys? And it sucks because we're like, well, do you see like those Fortune 100 logos? Like, well, they use us and they don't use this company. So like, there's probably, there's probably a reason, but um, yeah, I think, look, I, I mean, honestly, and I'd, I'd say this because I know there's a lot of, a lot of salespeople who are going to be entrepreneurs listening to this. There's probably a, a ton of founders who listen to this. When we got into, when we started Ambition 2013, 2014, we were lucky enough to go through Y Combinator. We had a good enough, I think, perspective on the idea of the business. We understood in some ways, I actually don't think we really understood how big the space could be, but we were almost like the, we were still, we were still kind of like the underdog, not really fitting into the traditional Y Combinator 
um, company at the time. Like none of us went to Ivy League or, or major yeah. West Coast schools. We're not uh, coming out of like project manager or engineer roles at, you know, Google or Apple or somewhere. We're just like, your SEC football team had choked for years, right? Like, you know, there was, there was Manning, like, there was before Manning, Manning, and after Manning. So, like, <laughs> we would have that to stand on. I don't know. I have to bring that into this. Uh, that's just just more hurtful to say. But um, yeah, we were like, you know, we were kind of these, you know, non atypical founders in some ways, and we have we have some definite advantages. So I don't want to say that we're, you know, disfranchised founders, but um, you know, we are from, we're just dudes from, from Tennessee. And so uh, when we would go fundraise, like, you know, we were trying to raise a seed round out of YC, which we did successfully. And we had some people, you know, put about two and a half million dollars in. Uh, it was still hard. They're like, you guys aren't going to move to San Francisco. None of your team's going to be here. Um, you know, you're moving back to Chattanooga. You sell to these big companies. You don't have any uh, like viral coefficient, like all these things that we think now are just like, almost moats to our products. Like we have these, you know, if you go look at ambition and then you go look at some of the top companies in, in sales enablement as a whole, and you say who has, you know, 5,000 user uh, engagement or, or who works with companies in the Fortune 100, not a lot of them will say they have over 100 or 200 or 500 users there if, if they have the logo. And we've like focused on that. And I think, um, so one, it wasn't that we didn't want that money early on. And then I think that we kind of started creating this uh, a little bit of chip on our shoulder where we're like, we don't yeah. need that. It doesn't help yeah. us. It, in a lot of ways, it's a distraction to be thinking, okay, well, I have to hit, we have to hit these very, um, you know, these very esoteric metrics for other people so that they'll want to invest in our business uh, and while I do think a lot of those metrics are useful and it's really helpful for us to look outside and, and get outside of our own bubble, but, um, you know, it's given us a lot of flexibility. It's given us the, uh, I think a lot of confidence and, and mostly I, I would say, um, constraints breed creativity. And I think the reason that we become a pretty darn effective company, I'd still, I wish we were way more effective. I wish we were growing even faster, but like, our people get a ton of shit done for the, um, for the size of our company, for where they're, their backgrounds. Um, and I think that's like part of our DNA now. And so, you know, I can't say that we'll never raise more money or we won't, you know, go down that path in the future or whatever, but it, it doesn't, you don't need to do that to, to be yeah. able to build a, a big impactful product. So what, so, what becomes, so what becomes the exit criteria then, right? Like, it, you know, what others could do in, you know, you've taken seven years. It used to be, you know, it used to be four years. That was a reason for the four-year vest. Then it became seven years. Facebook and Google were the, were the ones that went seven years and then they went public. You guys are at seven or eight years now, right? Um, yep. And I, I think it's going to, you know, we're starting to still see that seven or eight-year cliff. But if you could go get 20 or 30, which I would assume you probably could if you wanted to, right? You've got enough plow in sure. space, you've got enough revenue, you've got enough proof. Why wouldn't you want to do that and actually try to grow and scale faster to get an exit? Like, you know. Yeah, I, I think one thing that, uh, yeah, that's a deep question. Uh, I don't know how long we have on this podcast, but. Um, as long as it takes. So <laughs> we, 
I, I always want to grow faster. Like growing faster is um, an important barometer. And the, another thing that I always want to do is make sure we're keeping the customers that we want to keep. If, if they fit the criteria, we want to keep them by all means necessary. Um, the, the biggest criteria right now is like, are we having fun and are we having an impact? Like, and that's an easy answer, but you know, COVID I think in the last nine months has shown like things can just change super rapidly. Uh, what you expect is not necessarily going to be the case. And we have something that's super special. And as much as I want to maximize it and we want to maximize it, um, I want to do what's best for the ambition thing, not what's best for Brian Trouchold. Uh, ambition is bigger than me. We have, you know, 50 employees here who, you know, are betting their careers and are betting their family's livelihood on it. And so it's super important that like whatever decisions we make, um, you know, it's made from the, from the purview of like, what's the best for the business and not just what's the best for the three founders. Um, and I think at times if we had 2016 or 2017, we could have raised a big round. If we had done that, we would have fucked it up. Like I know that a hundred percent, like we Why? just didn't have, we didn't, I even think about this now every, every year. It's like, I learn, we figure out things that I'm like, man, if we'd have spent a ton of money going down the wrong path, it would have blown up the company because we would have missed expectations or we would have set expectations so high and going down at one time we were like, we're all in on SMB and we were like, SMB is killing it. It's great. Like we're getting these small teams are signing up fast. We had like a, a zero effort entry into the product. That's not our customer. We didn't know our ICP well enough that we were like, you know, kind of, I think, full of, um, we were almost envious of some of these other uh, companies that were like, yeah, we're getting, we're growing so fast. We're getting dozens of customers per week with three to five users. That's not our, that's not our customer. Our customer is enterprise sales. It's like a, um, it's a solution sell. It's a uh, deep relationship with the two, three, five-year contract sometimes. And, you know, that's a different thing to build. It's a different thing to support. And uh, we've learned a ton about selling that, I think, in the last 12 to 18 months. That if we'd gone a different path, I don't think the company's as valuable um, or successful today as it, as it could have been. Yeah, but now you, could, to... now you could demand it. Although, Scott, I have to say, this is the guy you should go work for, right? This would... If they ever needed someone, not that they're going to, but this would be the CRO role Scott could take where he knows he's gonna not going to get topped off. He's got right. my email now. He's, we, we can connect. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm coming. I, I'm going to come out of retirement already, Richard. Good Lord. No, That's I, right. you never really retire, Scott. I know you. <laughs> you, even, you even said yesterday on a podcast, you still think you're going to be a professional athlete. So, you know. yeah, well, you know, that sounds a lot more fun than, than working for Brian. Sorry, Brian. No, it's working with, you know, we'll, we'll, working we'll with, this, working with, uh, off I'll, air or whatever. I'm not sure what you oh, call these days. I want to dive into the, the, the working with part because you, you have two co-founders mm -hmm. and, and, and at least, uh, Jared and you, I don't know about the, the third one, um, how long y'all have been together, but you've been working together for seven, eight years. I talked to a woman, um, a couple days ago and, um, their business, it's about a year old and it's now it, it's going to fall apart because the co-founder relationship um, has splintered and fractured and they're not, and they're not on the same page. Right. 
Um, and so can you talk a little bit about the importance of, if you're going to found a business, the importance of like really nailing your, your co-pilot here, your, your co, you know, in your case, it was, your, it was your buddies, but like, I'm sure there's other buddies that you talk to about businesses that you were like, yeah, I'll talk to you, buddy, but uh, fuck that. I ain't working with, with you. <laughs> right. And that selection kind of yeah. process is it's, it's so sure. important and difficult to, uh, difficult to navigate. I'm sure I mean, Richard and I argue every single day about things, right, Richard? And we're not even running a big business. Only until you finally agree with me, right? Yeah. See, but see what but I mean, if Brian? we were to do it, and, and some people think we are merged, like we just had this conversation, is that I think our friend, that friendship piece, we figured out really early on, but it actually started as a business relationship. So I don't even know how we figured it out. It'd be a good conversation one day. Like, when did we trust each other enough? But um, I think I, I'll I let you know. When we, I'll let you know when we actually <laughs> get there, Richard. Yeah, exactly. So. I want, to know, I, think, I want to know your thoughts on this, Brian. It, Richard just said it. I mean, the key word is trust. And um, trust is what I, I, I get super nervous every once in a while when I'm on, uh, you know, Y Combinator's Hacker News. And it's like people talking about how they're co-founder dating or, or, or whatever. And I'm like, that's that's not going to work. Like that, that company's already fucked. Like, it, I think it's probably one of the most key I don't want to oversell it because there's a ton of other factors, but, but I think it's probably one of the biggest risks to companies is the, is co-founder um, drama or co-founders breaking up because it sets in motion all kinds of crazy shit that, uh, that companies can barely survive as it is. Like there's enough risks and enough outside forces to, uh, to derail a company. The last thing you need is the two or three or four people who are most vested in it being mad at each other. I think that uh, our one thing that's weird. Paul Graham told us this when we were in Y Combinator six years ago, um, and I remember this visit. Visit, or, uh, you know, specifically, we're walking. He, Paul Graham did this thing where he would like walk with the team, and it would be like this little route around the office. And he was he was kind of giving us like a backhanded compliment, where he was. Re recognizing that we're these southern bros and you know whatever um and he's like it's kind of interesting that you're here with this business and he's like what's really a good sign is that you all kind of look alike you're kind of dressed the same and you kind of look alike it was like what's that like what are you saying and basically it's that we have i think so many shared values we're really similar we can really understand each other deeply that um that we're not coming to an argument or a discussion from like radically different theologies or like radically different points of view. That's good and bad. Like that's not necessarily diversity of thought always. We have a diversity, I think, of skills uh, and our, we have different temperaments, all those things. But, um, you know, we play each other's strengths well. We know how to, I think, work with each other, like the ups and downs of just life. Um, and, and we, you know, you guys were talking about it. Jared and Travis have known each other since they were in high school. I've known them since freshman, sophomore year of college. We know each other deeply. I care about like, I know Jared's wife. I know Jared's daughter. I'm tight with Travis's fiance. Like that stuff matters. And um, people try to like skim past that. And the reality is like, while you're building a business, you're also living your life. Like you have to appreciate the things that your partners are going through in a really similar way to a spouse or a life partner or whatever, and be, uh, you know, 
be supportive, be understanding, be willing to be honest. And uh, most of all, if you don't have the trust that you mentioned, it just all kind of starts to, to really be hard to do that. And so I think number one, you have to trust each other. You have to trust they have the best, they have your best interests in mind as well. Um, and that I think is where if you lose that, the company is really difficult because people start thinking about me first. My big takeaway here, Richard, my big takeaway, Richard, is that if we want to um, get into and, and, and win through Y Combinator, I'm going to need you to grow your beard out and grow your hair out. I do. I'm happy takeaway. to do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll put the Rogaine on. You, no, know me. you just need a hat and a beard and your guys, you guys would be good. It's easy. It's easy. So it's interesting because, you know, we just did this conversation with Manny Medina um, yeah. about a week ago. And we talked about his co-founder situation. He had three other co-founders. And yeah, he right. said the same thing, that it wasn't, that it was as much about like, you know, our wives knowing each other and getting along and our families getting along, that that's where you build that trust, right? It's almost like, you know, I do remember the first time Scott and I, you know, hung out, you know, he had us over for dinner and I brought my wife and she's like, why are we going to this guy? I'm just like, you got to trust me. It's nice. They've got kids the same age or they have a son the same age as ours and just be kind of not And it. And it, you know, it was, I actually remember this. It was my 40th birthday and Springsteen was playing and I gave up Springsteen to go have dinner with Scott and Janet. Really? Yes. That was big. a ter terrible decision on your part. So um, that's, big. That's, that's how, that's how much I knew about Scott and, and why I knew this was important, but, but it is, it's interesting because I do think that's the same thing for Scott and I is that, it does help that we have that personal relationship, you know? Um, I do have a question, because I do know this, you know, at least most Southern guys, not all, but most Southern guys, you know, in college, one of their favorite activities, whether it's planned or not, is to get drunk and then they have a wrestling match, right? And I'm, I'm sure the three of you did this, right, Brian? Slight stereotype. I don't think those guys will ever have wrestled me because they're still alive and they're still fine. The drinking part, for sure, uh, you know, and, in all seriousness, that's one thing that um, I would encourage people, whether it's team leaders, whether it's co-founders, like doing doing stuff that has nothing to do with work is probably the best way to get better at work. Whether it's whether it's whether it's hiking, whether it's uh, you know going to play golf if you go surfing, going to play sports, surf like surfing, that, connecting yes. on a different level with people. Maybe that's the thing that that founders need, and that I think team leads need is like you've got to connect on to someone where they're not a number and they're not just a, a person on your team they're they're a real person like yeah we do gotta, that a lot you gotta you gotta do that from the ceo level all the way on down to the entry level you know marketers or sdr yeah and it can't deal. be the quarterly team dinner either like that doesn't that's count because right. that's weird that's fake right yeah that, that's it's gotta be it's gotta be it's gotta be happening every single day yeah. Right. Right. You've got to be cultivating those kind of conversations or activities every single day um, across the whole organization, I think. You know? so. I think for us, one of the healthiest things that we do and we've done it in a weird because we're not traveling like this is this is awesome. We've done more like dinners and come over and have wine and like that, that stuff. That's where you can have an argument and it cannot be in the office or in Slack. And it's like, you lose some of the context, but you can really have like a long conversation over a couple glasses of wine or, or, you know, beers outside. That's how you get into like the real, I think company, you know, the, the things that can like really scale a company or grow, it's gonna come out in those moments, not in like a, 
an email or a Slack update sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know we got a, this has been really fun. We went deep on a lot of stuff. So, and it was an easy conversation, Brian. So thank you. Um, we really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me guys. This is cool. Yeah. So um, obviously a quick shout out to our sponsors before we ask the last question uh, to lead 411, find them, Vidyard, um, gong.io and perception predict. We appreciate all their support. What can we do to help you? Like what, what is it? What question do you have for us in, in terms that maybe we can give advice on you to you or your co-founders? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the thing that um, I like and appreciate, and I really want you guys to continue to, you know, scale, scale what you guys are doing. I, I hope this continues to go on because I think um, I really like taking, uh, the, the, I think the direction you guys are taking with surf and sales. And I think that is bringing the conversation down to where reps and leaders actually are. Like, I don't think people want more buttoned up presentations and they don't want more spreadsheets. They want real people with real experience talking about how to actually do these things. And I listened to probably five of your guys' podcasts in the lead up to this. Um, just keep spreading the message. I mean, what's funny, and I'll say this because I hear it when you guys are talking to other guests, you know, five years ago when we were in this space, uh, you know, people were just like, do you hear quota or not? Did you, did, they were, you were one number, you were checked once or twice a year. And it was like, that was it, it's binary. Now we have coaching, we have management philosophy, we're doing sales methodology, I think at a much better level. And so bringing that conversation that you guys are doing um, to the manager level, to the, to the director, to people who are having an impact, keep it going, keep, keep spreading the good word because I think sales is changing really quickly. Uh, and folks like you are, are actually helping do that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brian. And we, have, we appreciate you. I know uh, Matt from uh, Ambition came out to yeah. one of our last surf and sales events. So um, you're walking the walk, right? We're you're not just telling people to. what to do. You're, you're, help, you're, you're helping us get our message out there. So I appreciate the time, man. This has been a great conversation. Everybody thanks, enjoy Brian. it. And uh, talk to you soon, Brian. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.